0: the last month or so we tried to emphasize the importance of his incarnation i think easily we can kind of because we're so used to hearing about his incarnation we kind of think that we know about why he needed to come but i think it is worthwhile devoting a month to study the exact reason of why he needed to be man okay so we're continuing our study on why Jesus need to come theology 101 the coming of our lord jesus christ him coming him being incarnate as man is one of the fundamental doctrines of the christian faith that's christianity 101 Jesus coming to this earth, being incarnate as man, that is such a baseline truth that if we do not accept this truth, then the whole Christian argument falls apart. Jesus coming into the, coming into the world, being born as man, is what you call a hypostatic union. No? and I press hypostatic union okay is the doctrine in which the com- in which Jesus is a combination of divine and human nature that's what it is hypostatic union is a doctrine that says Jesus Christ when he came into the world was fully man and fully god Jesus was fully man like you and I are fully human but he's also fully God. So what you need to understand is the ministry that he's done here in this world was he was doing ministry as God, but at the same time he was doing the ministry as a, as a full human being. Okay? So the things that, the, the, for example, the miracles that he performed while he was, he was on this earth, he performed it as man. Right? Some, a lot of the miracles that he performed, he performed it as man. How do you know? Because when he, before he performed many miracles, he prayed to God. He depended upon God. God the Father for the miracles. So a lot of the things that he has done on this earth, he has done in his human nature. So we need to appreciate Jesus coming to the world, doing the ministry as both God and as fully man. Then the question is, why is this so important? Why is Jesus coming here, doing the ministry as fully God, fully man? Why is that so important? Because in order for us to be made righteous, righteousness means being acceptable and pleasing to God. In order for a human being to be accepted and be approved by a holy God, Jesus Christ has to have done ministry as man. Let me tell you why. In order for human beings to be approved by God, to be made righteous, there's two ways. One way, human beings have to conform to our original design. In order for us to be made acceptable and approved by God, in order for us to be considered righteous by God, human beings have to fully conform to the design that God has made us. What is the design that God has made us? Like we talked about last week, the design of a human being, the purpose of a human being is to respect, honor, and obey God and love other people. That's the design of a human being. Every human being is encoded with this purpose. To love, honor, respect, obey God, and to love others. That's why we were created And if we do not meet this purpose, if we do not meet this design, that is what sin is. Sin is more than you smoking a cigarette or in modern age doing pot. Sin is more than listening to secular music. Sin is not conforming to the image of design that God has made us. But because, but the thing about Jesus is, Jesus as man fully obeyed the purpose of a human being. As human being, Jesus obeyed God perfectly. And Jesus loved people perfectly as man. Things that you and I cannot do on our own, which is to love, honor, respect God, and which is to love, honor people, things that you and I cannot do on our own, no matter what we think we're capable of in our minds, but the reality is we are not unable to do this. Jesus Christ as man has accomplished it. In our minds, we think that we're capable of loving God and capable of loving human beings. You think you can, but let's be real here. It doesn't take much for us to curse another human being if a human being inconveniences us, if a human being disagrees with us, if a human being insults us, it takes zero time for us to condemn that human being. In our noggins, we thought we think we can love God and love other people, but the reality of our lives say it is, no, you you cannot. Jesus Christ is the only human being that obeyed the requirements of God, perfectly. That is what it means for Jesus not to have sin. When we think of Jesus being sinless, it means more than the fact that he didn't curse. It means that Jesus Christ obeyed the requirements of God and they're designed for human beings perfectly. And when we are united with him, When we are in Christ, when God looks at us, the righteousness that he accomplished through his obedience and love, his record becomes our record. What the human man, Jesus Christ, has done, when we are united with him, it becomes our record when God looks at us. That's why Romans 5, 19, it says, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be, made, will be made righteous. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 is, when we are united with Adam, all of us are sinners because we inherited Adam's guilt. But when we are united with Christ, We are now united with Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, he does not look at us as failures. He looks at us through the record of Jesus Christ. That's why human beings, you cannot consider yourself as a failure. I know the biggest fear that we have as human beings is that we don't want to be failures. We don't want to be failures in the eyes of our parents. We don't want to be failures in the eyes of our children. We don't want to be failures in the eyes of the world. But because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has come as a man, and as a man, because he obeyed the right requirements of God perfectly. When God looks at us, and his opinion is the only thing that matters, when God looks at us, we are no longer failure. Can't you see? No? Am I doing not get excited? Okay. But that's what it is. Jesus has done what I could not do, which is to obey the requirements of God perfectly. Jesus also, Jesus did what I cannot do, which is to obey the requirements of God as a man. And as a God-man, Jesus Christ paid for what I cannot pay for, which is the consequences and the, and the depth that my sin incurred. Listen to me carefully. The sin that you and I commit, the inequities that you and I commit, cause damage. The damage that you and I caused because of our sins cannot be paid by you. I'll give you an example. When I was first starting out in Virginia as a pastor, there was a student of mine. I was a Yan pastor, and there was a student, of, there was one of the mem- church members. And when he was like 16, 17, him and his buddies went, he was in a gang. So he went to one of the rival gangs, apartment of one of the rival gangs, rival gangs, you know, member. And he killed him accidentally with a baseball bat. So because that guy did something bad, three of his friends got together. They went to the apartment, one of the apartments, Ann and Dale, took the guy down, and then started beating him up. But because he got heated, this guy, my church member, He killed the guy by hitting his head with a baseball bat. And the guy went to jail, my guy. He went to juvie for three or four years, and he got out. So in the eyes of the American law, he paid his debt to society, right? But think about the victim's parents. Are they satisfied because the guy went to jail for three years, having murdered their son? They'll feel much better now because the guy went to jail for three years? Every Christmas, every birthday, every Thanksgiving, those parents are reminded of the fact that their son is no longer here. And they've been living with that pain for the last 20 years. Look, my fear is that my children will go to the therapist's office and the therapist will say, what is wrong with you? And they start like, telling laundry lists of everything that I've done wrong with them. And maybe that's true. Boy, you better not do that. But maybe that's true. But can I, if I damage my children, Can I, after the damage that I've caused, can I somehow make it better? Can I take away their pain? No, you can't. Let's be honest here. The unkind words, the betrayal, the cruelty, the damages that your everyday sin caused, you cannot possibly one-fathom the damage, repercussion that that sin has caused. And number two, you cannot make it better. Can't you see? We cannot pay for the prices of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross as man, he took the consequences of our sins onto his human body. And because he took the consequences of our sin on, with his body as man on the cross and died, the cost of our sins are now paid for in the eyes of God. He needed to, be, he needed to die on the cross as both God and man because, number one, if he just died as God, it, that's impossible because God cannot be killed. So he needed, to be, he needed to be in the form of man for, for to die to pay for the price of our sins. So Jesus needed to be a human being, number one, to do the thing that we couldn't do on our own, which is to satisfy the, our design, the way God designed. And number two, Jesus needed to be a human being to pay for the sins that you and I cannot possibly pay for. That is why it is so paramount that he needed to be a human being just as much as he is God. Do you understand? Everyone, do you understand? That's what Christmas is. We're celebrating that in Christmas. Not baby born in manger surrounded by donkeys and cows and wise men, which is all important and biblical, but the sheer significance of it is He came into the world to make us righteous through his obedience, and to pay for the price of our sins that we cannot pay for on our own. And you need to do this as man. We all understand? Yeah? Don't worry, I'll remind you next year, Lord. If I'm sitting here, this is what I'm going to talk about next, week, next year as well. So that's so important. But the problem is, people do not People in John's time, and people even now, theologians now, they don't want to accept that Jesus Christ came as man. We're studying 1 John today. And the reason why John wrote this letter is to combat a heresy, a false teaching in the early church during that time. And the false teaching that John is teaching against in 1 John is uh, 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 is a false theology called Cerinthians. Uh, Sir, Cerinthian theology. Right? I, I'm doing a lot of theological terms today. And what the Cerinthians believed during John's time is that, is that they denied the hypostatic union. They denied that Jesus could be both man and God at the same time. Why? Because in their minds, God was holy, and man is dirty. And there's there's no way that a holy God can be, be, a a dirty human being can be the embodiment of the holy God. So they deny the fact that Jesus was born a human being. They argued the man Jesus was born, he was just a man like you you and I, without God, and during his baptism the Spirit of God entered him. Okay? He was born even being, but during his baptism, the Spirit of God entered him. Right? So for three years, he did ministry with God and man. And when he, right before he died on the cross, the Spirit of God left him. Because the argument is, God cannot be killed. So these guys denied the fact that Jesus Christ was born a man. To them, that was very very inconsistent with the holiness of God so they denied the fact that Jesus was born in the flesh but like but it's not them it's modern theologians too i enjoy reading modern theologians in fact, the basis of my relationship with Brian Min over there is our love for liberal—the not love. I'm sorry. I don't want. Is our enjoyment of liberal theologians? They're so smart and weird and lacking, right? But all these liberal theologians—whether it's Bart, whether it is Boltman, ba- or whether it's Tillich—right? What all these dudes have in common? Is that they don't admit, they don't, they disagree with the fact that Jesus Christ, maybe not Bart, Tillich, but Tillich and certainly the other guys did, they denied the fact that Jesus Christ was born a human being. Why? Because that is unscientific. To them, that just sounds unreasonable and unscientific. How can God be man? That's ridiculous. So they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But like I said before, in John, because the the incarnation of Jesus Christ is so fundamental, John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, says, the Antichrist is the one who deny Jesus came into the world, came into flesh. Because The incarnation of Jesus Christ is so fundamental to the Christian doctrine. John is saying, if you deny that Jesus Christ came into the flesh, then you are the Antichrist. Dang, that's a harsh statement. But he said it because, once again, the incarnation of Christ is so important. To John, Jesus Christ did not only come as a human being, Jesus Christ came into the world to fellowship with his people. And not only did Jesus Christ come into the world to fellowship with his people, after his resurrection, Jesus Christ continuously offers his fellowship with his people. So to John, not only was Jesus Christ born a man, but the man Christ fellowshiped with his disciples. Do you understand? Look. Look. Let's talk about John's theology, first of all. Verse 1. Don't worry. This is going to be a short sermon. I promise. Yeah, don't believe me. But I'll try to, I'll try to do it. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. John calls Jesus Christ the Word of life. And that is, in my mind, my idea of Jesus is always tied to the phrase the Word. John calls Jesus the Word, right? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was go- with God, the Word was God. In John's mind, John calls Jesus the Word. What does the word mean? It means different things to either you're a Greek, and if it, there's different meaning to a Greek and to a Jew, right? To the Greek, the word, the word word in Greek means logos. The word logos means reason or logic that governs the universe. There is a force, a power, a logic a mind that governs the universe. And John is saying, this reason, this logic, this mind that governs the universe is Jesus Christ. Look, give an example. There is a theory called butterfly theory, butterfly effect, right? Butterfly effect is not when you, if you go back in time, if you step on a butterfly, everything will change. That's not what the butterfly effect is, right? Avengers Endgame says that's not how time travel works, right? If you, go to, if you travel through time, step on a butterfly, everything will change. That's not what it means. That's not, that's not what the butterfly effect means. I don't know where they get this. Butterfly effect means this. Even everything that happens in reality, whether it is particles or whether the life of a human being, when you look at it, even random things, even random events, random particles, at first it may seem chaotic and random to you. But if you look at it far enough, if you have a more high evaluation of all these random events, then even random events happen within a pattern. And the pattern that these random events occur is the shape of a butterfly wing. So butterfly effect is saying this. Even random particle behaviors in the universe, even though it seems that they're random and unpredictable, if you observe it far enough, you can see even random events happen within patterns. There is no truly random, independent thing. Everything happens in a pattern, according to law, according to systems. There is a logic and a mind that governs reality. From the replication of your cells, to the length of your life, to the age of the universe, the way that the universe expands, everything happens based on a system, a pattern, a law. That's why science is possible, because we can observe these patterns in reality. John is saying, Who is responsible for all the patterns? Who controls the patterns and the systems and the law? He says, The Logos does, and the Logos is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is more than a blonde, blonde blue eyed, You know, like this really nice bearded guy holding a sheep. Remember the picture of Jesus that we always have? He's more than that. He's the reason why we can appreciate classical music. I mentioned that because my wife is here. He's the reason why we can appreciate classical music because there is a pattern in the rhythm and a thing about these things. That is Jesus Christ. John says the logos is not a, it's not a concept or a force, but it's a person. It's a being. It's a sentient being. And that being behind everything is Christ. It's Jesus Christ. To the Jew, the word of God symbolizes God's creative power, right? Genesis chapter 1. He spoke creation into existence. The word of God symbolizes God's creative power, God's authority, God's wisdom. John is saying, Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. That Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the power of God. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. If you look at Proverbs... It describes wisdom as a person. Wisdom, it it, it describes as a person. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is more than your best friend, you see. He is everything. But John is saying, this everything came into the world to give life. John only calls Jesus the word, John called Jesus the Word of Life. He calls Jesus the Word of Life because Jesus, number one, gave life to all physical things in the world. But number two, Jesus Christ gives, He's the only one that can give spiritual life to people. Look, yesterday, I went to a father and daughter date afternoon, right? We went to Chung She loved jjajangmyeon, so I, went, I wanted to t- take her back to the OG of jjajangmyeon place in northern Virginia. And that's Chung right? So we, we, we took her there. Fantastic, OK? Chung should pay me because, you know, it's a good advertisement. And during my conversation with my daughter when we were having jjajangmyeon, she's my daughter. And what do we talk about? We talked about Franz Kafka's metamorphosis. That's right. Because she read that as a school, right? And that's one of my favorite, I was was fascinated with that book when I was was a kid. I'm not going to describe what metamorphosis is, but basically metamorphosis is a book about alienation about human brokenness, about evils of capitalism. Kafka did an amazing job describing the human condition, the alienation, the isolation, and the evils of capitalism. He did a fantastic job. But what I told my daughter is this. Even though he did a fantastic job describing the fall of humanity. Kafka offers no solution. He's really good at describing the problem. He's horrible at giving any solution. But if you read a lot of psychology or political science, everything, everyone is really good. Even the psychiatry literature out there, it's really good describing what is wrong with people. But the solution they offer to how, the pers- how to make people better is sincerely lacking. Everyone, the, the conflict in Palestine, everyone is an expert on blaming, either blaming Israel of why, how Israel is so bad, or everyone is so good at describing how, like, Hamas is bad. So many theories out there of between Israel and Palestine, but none of no one out there can offer the solution of what to do about these two countries. Solution. Even the atheists are really good at describing why you shouldn't believe in God, but they cannot offer what do you believe instead. They can't do that. Jesus Christ is saying the only way, the only one that can offer solution to your soul is knowing me, the word of life. I lifted this from a Tim Keller sermon, so I'm quoting quoting my sources here. Tim Keller quoted this pastor named Daniel, Daniel Steele, right? Daniel Steele was a British... Minister, he, was a, he, was a, he was a pastor in the UK. And Brian Steele, I'm sorry, Daniel Steele described his prayer life. And this is what he says about his prayer life. He says, almost every week and almost every day, I feel a pressure that comes to my heart to such a measure to make me groan under an unsupportable plethora of joy. At such times, and at such times, God has unlocked, unlocked every component of my being and flooded every component with my, of my being with the light of his presence. The inner spot of my being has been touched by his light and my coldness has melted in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, the one altogether lovely. This pastor, when he prays, he says he feels this light of Jesus invading every component of his being. The darkness and the confusion that he often carries, melts away in the presence of Jesus. Jesus offers that life to people. That's what it means for Jesus to be the word of life. He offers that. No one, nothing else in the world can offer that kind of light and joy that floods your internal being like he can. And that's true. No psychology, no human relationship, no romantic relationships can ever possibly fill your soul with that. Like the word of life can. That's what he has come to give. And in order to give us this, Jesus came into the world as man. And as he came into the world as man, he fellowshiped with the the apostles and the disciples. Look, John says in verse 1, John and the apostles heard with their ears, seen with their eyes, touched with their hands, the word of life. In verse 2, he says, the life was made manifest. The word manifest here means made it clearly visible to the eyes and the senses. That's what manifest means. So John is saying, the apostles and me, our faith is not based on an abstract idea or radical ideology. It's the experience we had with the God man Jesus. Listen to me carefully. Buddhists, you know how the Buddha became the Buddha? He was like sitting under a tree, and enlightenment happened. Whoa. How did Islam happen? Muhammad went up to the mountain. Whoa, Allah. That's not what happened to Christianity. Christianity is the word of life coming down to be in a human form. The man, Jesus, appearing before his apostles. He fellowship with the apostles. And the apostles heard him, saw him, touched him, witnessed his resurrection. And that's what they found in Christianity. Christianity is started by witnesses who have experienced The word of God became man. John is saying, the fellowship that we have with God because Jesus came is the fellowship that Jesus offers all of you. Jesus says, John says, the reason the apostles and me, we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to you it is so that you will have fellowship with us. Fellowship means common life together. you to have a common life together. It means partnership, but it's a deeper form of partnership. Fellowship in Greek means koineas, I think. And it means partnership, but it means a, it's, a, it's a common life partnership. He's saying, when we proclaim Jesus Christ to you, when you experience the life of Jesus Christ in your life, when you are saved in his name, when you experience his life, you are united with other Christians who experience similar life. Christians are people who experience the life of Jesus in their lives. Christianity it's not, it's not for religiously-minded folks, but those who have experienced the life of Christ in their lives. That's why membership class is scary for some, pleasant to others. Because I ask, who is Jesus Christ to you? What is the evidence of life? What is the evidence of Christian life to you? Remember a few years ago, I'm not going to embarrass her, but I'm going to embarrass her. When Louisa came up here and gave her testimony, everyone was crying. Because we can identify the life that Christ gives to people. People who experience that kind of life are joined together in fellowship. You know? And John is saying, not only do you have fellowship like this with each other, but more importantly, you have that kind of fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of His coming? It is to get fellowship between us and God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Because of the work that Jesus Christ has done for us, the barrier of sin is removed. And once the barrier of sin is removed, we can fellowship with the Trinity. Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? What it means to be a Christian is you get to have fellowship, a living relationship with, the, with God, the Father and His, and His Son and the Holy Spirit. You get to live in fellowship with God and, and Jesus Christ while you live on this earth. And John is saying, this is joy. The joy here means feeling of complete fulfillment. That's what joy means here. Christian joy means feeling of just complete fulfillment. And you get the sense of complete fulfillment. When you start fellowshipping with God the Father and His Son through the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment comes to us. That's the great reward for salvation, this fellowship with God. And there is nothing like it in the world. Why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? It is because through prayer and through the word, we fellowship with the Trinity. And when you fellowship with the Trinity, you are completely fulfilled. Look, I hope JYP is legitimate, but JYP, you know, the, the man who made Twice and what else? me Twice and Wonder Girls or whatever. He's one of the most like, famous record producers and artists in Korea, right? He became a Christian like 10 years ago. And in a recent interview, this is what he said. He said, before I became a Christian, I lost sleep. Because even though I was successful and I was rich, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know know where I'm going. I didn't know what life was about. But after meeting God in Christ, I no longer have those questions. I know who I am. I know what I'm made for. And I know where I'm going. And after realizing that, he says, I don't lose sleep anymore. I don't worry anymore. I don't have any questions anymore. Fulfillment. JYP is not fulfilled because he, he manages twice, right? Or, or New Jeans, JYP, right? I, no? Sorry, I don't know my K pop. But his fulfillment comes from the fellowship of God the Father and the Son through the Trinity, through the Holy Spirit. Look, I have a friend that I see every year. He's a good guy, smart guy, one of the most brilliant guys that I know, Except, with the exception of all of you. He's a non embrace member. He's the most brilliant guy that I know. He's a Christian. And every time I see him, he says, well, I don't really pray. And every time I see him, he says, I don't really pray. You know, I think my service to God is I get, I get to be a good worker in my job. And he speaks at church gatherings once in a while. He says, I don't need to pray. I serve God that way. And this is what I told him over Thanksgiving. I said, dude. I didn't say dude, right, because it's Korean. I said, man, it's great that you serve God. It is great that you have a sense of mission about your job. And it's great you can talk to people about God. But if you don't pray to him, if you don't have fellowship with him, what is the point of your Christianity? There's a difference, I told him, between knowing about God and doing things for him. There's a difference between knowing about God and doing things for him, and, and, and then there's a difference between that and truly knowing him. There's a difference between serving him and doing things for Him, and knowing Him. The great gift of incarnation is we get to know Him. We get to have fellowship with Him. And that means everything. That's what this life is for, y'all. To fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. If you do not have this fellowship with him, you are miss- your life is tragic, because you are missing out on the only thing that can give you complete fulfillment. He came as man to offer fellowship with himself, to you and to me. I know because I know you, because I know myself. Tomorrow morning you'll get up and you'll give tons of excuses of why you shouldn't fellowship with Him. I know because I feel it too. But if we give in to that temptation day in and day out, our souls will die. Your soul will die. Because Jesus says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. If you remain in me, you can do all things. If you don't remain in me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. You really got to remain in Christ in fellowship. Okay? Because that's what he came to offer through his incarnation. Let us pray. And you say that you're fellowshipping with, the Lord Jesus came to this earth to offer fellowship with us.